What's up guys, Rick here with a DFS preview for this week's Farmers Insurance Open and stop, don't fast forward a couple of really important things before we jump into this. This event is going to start on Wednesday and it's going to run Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That is an attempt by the PGA Tour to not compete with the NFL on Conference Championship Sunday. So make sure your lineups are in. Make sure your one and done picks are in. Make sure your bets are in because I assure you that I will get emails Wednesday evening that say, what, this is a Wednesday start? I can't believe it, what happened? Yada, yada, yada. Additionally, because we are starting on Wednesday this week, that changes the content schedule. You're obviously watching right now the DFS preview. On Monday, there will be a Twitter space. If you haven't joined in on a Twitter space yet, it's your opportunity to come on and join the conversation about this week's Farmers Insurance Open. That's going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern on Monday. The Tuesday scramble will still be Tuesday, but it'll be moved up an hour. That will now be 11 a.m. Tuesday. The Rick Run Good live chat, which is normally on Wednesdays, now on Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Another Twitter space on Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern. And then the Jock Market Power Hour moved up a day. You guessed it, 8.15 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. So it's going to be a lot of content crammed into a very uh, short period of time. So I appreciate and I thank you for your likes and your subscriptions and your comments below with who you think is going to win the Farmers Insurance Open. And of course, if you're going to be at the event, so will I. I'll be there Friday and Saturday. Those are the final two rounds. I will tweet out uh, my location if you want to come say hi or grab a drink or whatever it might be. It's always good uh, to meet up with you guys. So I will be there. Check my Twitter feed if you'll be there as well. Certainly feel free to reach out. But otherwise, I love this event. I love this course so much. Let's jump into it. All right, Torrey Pines love this course, or should I say courses, because we do have another rotation in play this week. The north course will be used all over the course of the first two rounds, so each golfer will play one round at the south, one at the north, and then there will be a cut, and everyone will go back to the south course. That's the more famous course. It's the one that hosted the uh, U.S. Open last year, so three rounds on the south and one on the north. The... They've tried to close the gap between these two courses in recent years. Uh, the North course used to be super easy and play so much uh, less difficult than the South course did. That gap is kind of closing a little bit. I think last year the gap was pretty sizable, like three shots difference across the courses. The year before that, I think it was 1.8. There's a stretch of holes, a three-hole stretch on the North course called the Undertow that they've really tried to ramp up the difficulty on. And if you're not careful, it will pull your golfers out to sea. No? No? Nothing? Undertow? Okay. Well, uh, the south course and the north course, they both have this um, Kikuya rough. If, if you've never played on it, it is super thick. You are really at the mercy of the lie that you get. There are often times where you know, us as amateur golfers, we would just have to hack a wedge back out in the fairway because hitting a long iron out of this stuff can be incredibly difficult. You can get a lot of, of, of grass in between your ball and the club face. Uh, the pros are obviously much better at it than we are, but it's still going to cause issues and will cause issues around the green as well. If you look at the metrics, historically, 
And this is kind of interesting because uh, historically driving accuracy has not been a correlator to success at this event, which is a bit counterintuitive. But when you think about it, it makes a lot more sense because driving distance is a very strong correlator to success over the years. This is literally looking at every golfer uh, and every stat on the PGA Tour over the last 12 years, where the types of golfers um, have had success. And basically what it says is long, inaccurate drivers have correlated very well at Torrey Pines. The driving distance debate, uh, it's more than just driving distance. And Bryson DeChambeau was the perfect example of this at winged foot. You get driving distance because you have club head speed. And club head speed also allows you to extract the ball from thick rough better than your peers. So it does start to make a lot more sense when you look at this and say, okay, driving distance, AKA guys that have a fast club head speed are having success here. They're either bombing it and staying in the fairway or they're bombing it, hitting it out of the rough and they're extracting the ball better than their peers. So it's, it's, it's an exciting little nugget to go with. We'll throw that in the, the custom model at the end of the episode. Um, also, uh, the, the POA greens on the south course, you're going to hear that countless times throughout the, the week because POA is such a unique strain of grass. It's very bumpy. It's kind of hard to read and understand. Some guys hate it. Some guys love it. So it, it really is going to be a sizable storyline for this week. And I'll show you some guys that generally putt well on that surface. Um, and before I jump to the cheat sheet, let me take you over to the power rankings because I think it's a really good place to start, get our finger on the pulse of the players who are coming in trending well. I've added the salaries to the power rankings tool, uh, basically out of the request of, of uh, most listeners and, and viewers, because it's just a little bit easier to sort through. So what you're looking at right now is the last, let's do last 50 rounds of uh, raw strokes gain. So that's why Taylor Moore is quote, the second best player in this field, because these are raw metrics. He only has of these 50 rounds, you know, more than half of them are corn fairy tour rounds. So that really helps him there. If we were go to go over to the weighted side, you would see he would drop from second, probably down to 15, 16, 17, something like that. Um, but You'll notice John Rahm is number one. That's something we've talked about countless times. Sam Burns, outside of Taylor Moore, is next. And Daniel Berger is there as well. Those are two guys that I don't think most people would include as a top five player because you've got uh, you've got Justin Thomas as well. You've got Dustin Johnson here. You've got Hideki and Xander and Bryson. So those guys have been very, very good. If you go over to the weighted side of this, and we take it to just players in this field, and we do uh, 50 rounds as well, you're going to see uh, Taylor Moore drops to, well, he actually dropped further than I thought, didn't he? Oh my goodness. Yeah, he drops all the way down to 41st. I actually was giving him a bit too much credit there. But Daniel Berger in the last 50 rounds, it's a sizable gap from John Rahm, but he's the second best player in this field in weighted strokes gained total. Bryson is third, DJ is fourth, Justin Thomas is fifth. We're going to talk about those guys because this is shaping up to be a great field and we've got to start considering the pricing. Six golfers over $10,000. John Rahm leads the way at 11200 down to Daniel Berger at a flat 10000 with Justin Thomas, Hideki Matsuyama, Dustin Johnson, and Xander Shoffley in the mix as well. And I got to admit, my head is spinning on this pricing. Not that I necessarily don't agree with it. I'm just a little bit surprised by it. the $9,000 range that we're going to get to in a second has some values. I love the respect for Daniel Berger at 10,000, but 
I think that's going to be a bit more difficult to pay. I would have loved to have rostered Daniel Berger this week, but at $10,000, it feels a little bit hairy. To see Justin Thomas be the second most expensive golfer and Hideki be the third most expensive golfer, I mean... I would have priced this out a little bit differently. So, so what do we end up doing here? Uh, John Robb continues to be in a class of his own. He's $11,200. He has been phenomenal at Torrey Pines. The win in 2017, the three consecutive top seven finishes, plus you throw in the win at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. So what I recommend a lot of you do is you actually go over to the Holy Grail and you can sort uh, not only by event, but by course. So if you sort by Torrey Pines, that will also lump in uh, the U.S. Open from last year along with the Farmers Insurance Open. So you'll see John Rahm is gaining over three strokes per round in his 24 rounds at Torrey Pines. It is a unbelievable rate. Anytime you get over two, two and a half, three, you're getting into Tiger-esque range. Obviously, Tiger did it for a decade. John Rahm's done it for 24 rounds at Torrey Pines, um, but it's it's that impressive. The argument to be made about John Rahm this week for me is that you would much prefer to roster him in your daily fantasy formats than to bet on him this week. The outright numbers for John Rahm are pretty vicious, and they're asking him to win a full field event at Torrey Pines with a stacked field way more frequently than he's actually going to win it. But the gap in pricing on fantasy sites is much smaller, only $300 more than Justin Thomas. That's that's much more appealing. That is easier to swallow. I think the way you'd want to deploy John Rahm certainly is in fantasy formats. I'm fairly lukewarm on both Justin Thomas and Hideki Matsuyama. If you go back to the Holy Grail here, you'll see Justin Thomas, you know, only uh, a a smaller sample size than the rest of these guys, but he's played well at Torrey Pines. Hideki Matsuyama, he's been fine as well. His best finish was uh, a T3 in 2019, and he's actually putted fairly well on these greens. I think those guys are fine. I think maybe the most mispriced guy in the 10,000s is Dustin Johnson, which feels a little bit weird. Let's do a deeper dive into DJ. And if you remember, if you go back to the power rankings here, almost no matter how you want to slice this, weighted or raw numbers, Dustin Johnson's still very much a top four or five golfer in this field and even on the PGA Tour, despite what we're thinking about him right now. What we're thinking is that he's he's not been very good, which is shocking. He's probably been a lot better than we would expect. So if we go back and just and just look at his logs real quick. Eighth at the Tour Championship, you can throw that out. It's a staggered start. T6 at the BMW Championship, and then a T45 at Summit Club. We have not seen him since then. We haven't seen him since mid-October. I know there is generally a bit of hesitancy when you're rostering guys for the first time off of a long layoff, but what you're seeing in this column right here, the strokes gain putting numbers are fairly insane. Dating back to the Players' Championship, dating back to basically after he lost 10 strokes putting at the WGC Workday, he's been unreal with the putter. Uh, To put it into perspective, let's go last 50 rounds. Let's just do raw data. I don't want anybody even, uh, you know, throwing anything out there about the weighted numbers. He's the fourth best putter in this field over the last 50 rounds. It's Adam Hadwin, it's Adam Shank, it's John Rahm, which is, first of all, crazy that Rahm's the third best putter in this field in the last 50 rounds and everything else that he does well. And then it's Dustin Johnson. And in that stretch, 
He is basically the same putter as John Rahm. What we're not seeing from DJ is the ball striking, right? That's that's the gap. It's this right here. It's the off the tee where he's lost in four of his last six. It's the approach in which he's lost four straight. What we've been doing this year is essentially giving most guys or almost every guy credit for kind of getting back to their true DNA, to their real baseline after a layoff. And if you look at the baseline for Dustin Johnson, it is one of the better ball strikers on the tour. Even even his down year in 2021, he was still gaining nearly three quarters of a shot per round in the ball striking categories. He is turning into a, just an absolutely phenomenal putter. There, there, to me, I see this as a lot of room for improvement, right? There is a huge gap that Dustin Johnson can make up if he just gets back to 80% of his ball striking baseline from literally the last five or six years of his career. That, we just have a lot of room for growth here. So I think he's probably the most intriguing option uh, in the 10K range. Xander Shoffley, yeah, I, I think he's exercised his demons a little bit, right? He had missed, I think, four out of his first five cuts at Torrey Pines. He's a local guy. He then went out and finished runner-up at this event uh, last year, and then he had another top 10 at the U.S. Open. I think he's kind of exercised those demons. Xander's been playing great. I've got no problem if you want to roster him. And then Daniel Berger, I really would have sprinted, uh, and maybe I still will. Maybe I won't sprint. Maybe I'll briskly walk to get access to Daniel Berger because he is, and I, I say this countless times, I mean, he's turning into just an elite player. I, I don't think that's crazy to say. He's a top 10, top 12 player on the PGA Tour. He's finally being priced that way. Seventh at the Hero World Challenge, fifth at the Tournament of Champions. He still hasn't lost strokes on approach since his victory at Pebble Beach, which is Poana Greens. I, I, I just think that if he can keep it in the fairway, uh, he hits his long irons very well. You're going to have to do that. The only concern I have around farmers, and I want to see what his history is here. Um, I bet you it's not good. Yeah, it's not. So here's the one issue with Daniel Berger. As much as I love the guy, he loves to play that high cut, high fade, whatever you want to call it. Tory oftentimes asks you to hit a high draw. And we saw that kind of rear its ugly head at Kapalua in his last start. Remember 18? I think both Saturday and Sunday, Berger sprayed it on 18 because that shot requires you to hit a big high draw. Wasn't able to pull it off, kind of sprayed it out to the right-hand side amongst the people. He's yelling four, as he tends to do. Good job, hat tip to you, Daniel Berger. But I, I worry that he's going to be put into a lot of situations where he's better off hitting a high draw and that is against his shot shape. And you wonder if that has really kind of proven to be why his results are so poor at this event. So uh, I will I will tip my cap to you, Daniel Berger. Um, I don't think I can pay the $10,000, but we are going to get, like we're going to Pebble, right? And he's probably going to be the favorite when we get there. I'm I'm... I don't want to root for miscuts. I'm almost rooting for a Daniel Berger miscut so that we can get access to him next week at Pebble Beach. The nines. Oh boy. Do I love the nines. Uh, let's start with Bryson DeChambeau. Everything that I talked about with uh, the club head speed, the driving distance, all of that applies to Bryson DeChambeau. We saw him destroy Torrey Pines for what, 60 Four holes at the U.S. Open before he just absolutely collapsed and couldn't find anything. He is dealing 
with a wrist injury. That is what forced him to withdraw from the Sony Open. I can speculate wildly about the status of that wrist. I'd prefer not to. Uh, the concern that I have for Bryson is a little bit about the wrist. It is more so about this third column right here. He has lost strokes around the green in five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten consecutive events. That is concerning because Tory Pines, listen, you play out of, uh, you know, you play greenside a lot. It's, it's kind of how Patrick Reed won this event last year, right? There's a couple ways to do it. You hit every green, you roll in every putt, kind of like Leishman did two years ago, or you do what Patrick Reed does and you just get up and down um, from everywhere. And that's, I'm not sure which version of Bryson wins this other than the winged foot model. Um, so I think I probably just have more concerns about Bryson than maybe things I'm not concerned about. So I'll probably take a pass on him. But look at this. Sam Burns at 9,700. Brooks Kepp at 96. Sam Burns, you're going to look, everyone's going to look at this and say, oh, wow. Sam Burns finished like T8 or, or T18 or T19 last year. I don't remember exactly what it was. Uh, but that is not really indicative of how he played at Torrey Pines last year. He was in the final group with Patrick Reed. He went out and he four-putted the first green, and he never got back into it. It was one of his worst putting rounds of his career. I think it was his fourth or fifth worst putting round of his career. He is a much better player now. He is more seasoned. He hits it far. He hits it accurate. He's great with the putter. Uh, yeah, give me all the Sam Burns that I can get access to. And then Brooks Kepka, you know, when you start cranking up the difficulty at events and you start talking about club head speed and you start talking about tough conditions, that's Brooks's game. And you got to kind of, um, you got to kind of wish it into existence a little bit, right? Because the advanced metrics aren't particularly appealing, especially in the ball striking categories. He finished fourth at the U.S. Open here uh, last year. I do wonder what the industry is going to do with him. We can talk about this on Wednesday, or, oh, I said Wednesday, the Tuesday live chat, right? Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern time, when we have more, uh, an idea of ownership, because um, there are so many big names in this field, you wonder how... The industry is going to treat Kepka, especially with Sam Burns right there, especially with Will Zalatoris in the $9,000 range, especially with Tony Finau in the $9,000 range. So I'll be really interested to see what Brooks Kepka does. He might end up being a great little pivot. Tony Finau will be popular this week, and it is for good reason. Uh, his success at Torrey Pines has been phenomenal. Um, I'm going to show you the results, but I'm going to kind of tell you why he's been so good here because there's really one key aspect that is that is driving it. And uh, here you go. T2 last year, T6, T13, T6, T4. That is five consecutive top 13s with four top sixes. His worst finish in his six trips, T24. It's special. Look at the uh, fourth column there. That's strokes gained putting. Only once has he lost strokes putting at this event. Finished T13 in 2019. That's unusual, right? Because Tony Finau, not known for being a really good putter. Maybe he loves these Poana greens. He's able to figure them out. And really, the data backs it up. So I have a newsletter that I send out every single week. I'll link it in the description. I've already sent out this week's because um, I, I want it to be a living document. I'll update it throughout the week because it's such a quick turnaround. But this is one thing that I included. Tory Pines is literally Tony Finau's best putting course. 
Uh, minimum 10 rounds. He has 28 rounds. He's gaining over a half a stroke putting here. Twin Cities is close. Silverado's a third of a round. Quail Hollow, a third of a round. But he's got more rounds here and a better putting record. So whatever it is, Tony's been able to roll the rock here. That's kind of been the key to his success, and he's going to be popular. The $8,000 range is kind of interesting. Um, I'm really excited to see what the industry does with Taylor Gooch and Corey Connors. You could argue on paper, this should be a good spot for Corey Connors. You know, he is uh, long and accurate off the tee. He can kind of lean into his, his strengths as a ball striker. And can't we forgive one miscut at the American Express? That's his first miscut since... Tory Pines U.S. Open. So, like, that's why I'm so torn, right? It's it's all the top 20s. It's the rare missed cut. But maybe the results here aren't as good as um, what I think they should be on paper. So, I don't know what the industry is going to do with Corey Connors. I would like to, you know, if he comes in at like 6% owned, I think he's going to be a pretty interesting option. Uh, along with Taylor Gooch, although I think Connors probably sets up a little bit better than Gooch does uh, here, we saw a pretty horrendous version of Matthew Wolf. And when Matthew Wolf uh, gets going in the wrong direction, he gets going in the wrong direction quickly. Same thing as when he gets going in the right direction, right? And if we are looking at club head speed, if we're looking at distance, that's your Matthew Wolf comp. Bryson is probably the closest comp for Matthew Wolf. Uh, but you have to be willing to take on a ton of risk. Uh, for that reward at an $8,500 Matthew Wolf. Uh, Max Homa, a couple of top 20s here in his last two trips, which kind of makes sense. Max Homa, as we've seen, between the win at Quail Hollow, the win at Riviera, he is really proving to be, I don't want to say great, but maybe it is great, great on kind of these longer, or maybe I should say more difficult golf courses. And that is what you're going to get this week. And you're going to get Poana Greens. And guess what surface is, is basically Homa's best? Yeah, it's Poa. He's a West Coast guy, right? This should be right up his alley. So I think that's an interesting option in the $8,000 range. And then Ryan Palmer. We've got to have the Ryan Palmer conversation. Because if you look at a couple of items here, uh, you look at his... Recent, recent form. So very recent form, very short-term form. You'll see a guy who has made uh, one cut this year in the only event that he played, uh, but he's made four cuts in a row. The last two measured events, he's gained multiple strokes off the tee. This, he's gained strokes on approach. This is uh, a tee to green version of Ryan Palmer that we have not seen since basically his really great run um, kind of in the summer and, and towards 2020 as well. But... What else do you get from Ryan Palmer? You get a pretty strong history around this event. So he has, well, I shouldn't say never. In the, in the um, last decade, going back to 2010, he's played this event five times. He's never lost strokes on approach. He has two runner-up finishes. He has a T21 and a T13. I could get behind Ryan Palmer. I don't think that that's the worst thing that you could do, especially because I think he's off most people's radar and he's only 8,100 bucks played well at the Sony. I, I think I could endorse that. The $7,000 range is amazing. You know, Keegan Bradley's at $7,900. And if you really do a deep dive on Keegan Bradley, what do you find? Well, we, we know 
we know Keegan. He's a known entity on the PGA Tour, but he is a staple in the total driving category on the PGA Tour. Total driving essentially is just looking at the rank that you have in driving distance and the rank that you have in in driving accuracy. Who's long and who's straight. Uh, Keegan Bradley is a staple on that leaderboard. Last five or six years. Go look. He's basically top 10 every single year. We're seeing more of the same here in 2022. Uh, great ball striking week at the Sony Open. He gained nine and a half strokes from tee to green. He lost strokes putting. Yeah, exactly what we're expecting from Keegan Bradley. He's had a very good history at the Farmers Insurance Open. Four made cuts in a row, a fourth, a fifth, a 16th. He's missed two cuts in basically, what is that, 10 years it's it's a really good he's, he's lost strokes tee to green once once in his 10 trips to Tory Pines so I'm I'm pretty bullish about this um and at $7,900 I think this is probably one of the better spots that you could roll him out otherwise Lonto Griffin I know he's over $7,000 which is a little bit scary but he's played well recently, right? The third place finish at the American Express. He played well at the Zozo. He's got two top 12 finishes in his last three trips to this event because it makes sense. When Lonto's on top of his game, he's a great approach player and he's a great putter. Those two things allow for popping ability. Luke List, 7,600. Luke List is in a stretch, people. Like, let's go, let's go look at Luke List because he is, uh, he continued the great play from the fall basically into his first start of 2022 at the American Express where he finished T22. Look at the ball striking categories. Look at the putting categories. The thing about Luke List on POA is that he is basically half as bad, twice as good. I don't know what you want to look at it as. Uh, He doesn't lose as many strokes on POA as he does on basically any other surface in his career. So maybe this is a place that he can get a little bit of momentum going as he has done with four straight made cuts at this event, two top 12 finishes. I've spent a ton of time talking about Aaron Wise over the course of the past six months. The short story is this is an elite tee to green player who is getting better with the putter. It's a dangerous combination. Aaron Wise is going to win soon. I don't know when it's going to be. I think it's going to be soon. He is in a really good spot right now. I'll probably take a pass on Snedeker, uh, who has elite course history here. I'll take a pass on Johnny Vegas, who does not putt well on POA. Mito Pereira is here. Uh, we have not seen Mito since the RSM. So this is going to be his first start. Remember, he won multiple times, three times, got the battlefield promotion on the uh, on the Corn Ferry last year, which is how he got uh, his tour card. And when he, when he came out, he was just ball striking machine. He's, he just piled up top 30, top 40 finishes. I, I think that getting him back in this field at 7,400, I'm a little bit worried because um, we haven't seen him in so long, but the raw talent certainly there. The rest of the $7,000 range, I'm not as excited about. Patrick Rogers. Um, okay, there are there are molds of guys, right? And and there are shorter, uh, shorter courses that require accuracy. There's molds of guys. Torrey Pines, there's molds of guys. Patrick Rogers, one of those guys. If you just go to the Holy Grail and sort by strokes gain putting in this field on Poana Greens, Patrick Rogers, dominant. 51 rounds. He's gaining nearly a stroke per round and also a very good driver of the golf ball. I mean, he is, he's the mold. He's the mold for Torrey Pines. Finished T9 in 2020, finished T4 in 2017, um, has, has 
has good finishes at the uh, at Pebble Beach as well, which is another you know Poata Green West Coast course. Patrick Rogers at seventy one hundred dollars is the type of golfer you should be looking for. That six thousand dollar range is tough. I'll point out a couple of guys, then we'll go to the power rankings, and then maybe somebody will show up in the uh, in the custom model. You know, Grayson Sig is kind of interesting, but he's going to bite off. Uh, and this is a big course to bite off, but he is now starting to figure it out a little bit here in 2022. Uh, first year with his tour card, didn't get off to the greatest start. He's starting to figure it out. Joseph Bramlett seems to likely be the popular guy. He absolutely bombs it. He finished 18th here last year. He's made two cuts in a row was on the first page of the leaderboard last week at the American Express, had two kind of subpar rounds on Saturday and Sunday, ended up finishing 33rd, but I think at 6,700, a lot of people are going to kind of forgive and forget on Bramlett. Um, let's go over to the power rankings and just see what we can find here. I'll go last 50, um, you know, raw strokes gained. Now, strokes gained total. And we'll see if we can find Taylor Moore is here. Uh, you know, he had kind of a weird week last week, but remember a lot of those rounds are corn fairy rounds. Let's see if we can find a guy who's got a lot more rounds on the PGA tour and he's 60 and he's in the six thousand. Okay. Peter Uline's here still the majority of rounds on the corn ferry in his last 50 Dylan Wu, same story, missed the cut last week, actually uh, played, played better than I think the miscut would indicate, but this is a big, it's a big course for him. I, I do worry about that. Adam Shank is here. Adam Shank, uh, in pure strokes gained, raw, pure strokes gained. All of his rounds are PGA tour rounds. He's a 26th player in this field. That is a little bit surprising to me. Let's deep dive that a little bit. And then we can run a custom model, but that is a little bit surprising. He's okay on, I mean, he's not great on Poe. It's one of his worst surfaces, but he's closer to average. He's gained strokes on approach in six straight. The around the green has been horrible, which is a little bit scary. Maybe a bit reliant on the putter. Yeah, this is, this is super scary to me. Um, yeah, I, wow. I don't know if I could endorse Adam Shank. Let's see who else. I mean, Svensson is still here. I'm very high on him, but I'm looking for somebody with a lot of PGA Tour rounds. Pat Perez is 44th in this field. He's got all 50 of his rounds are PGA Tour rounds. He's popped at this event before. The 6K is really hard. The 6K is really, really tough, which is another reason why I think Bramlett is going to be very popular. Barjan, I don't know if you could go back to him after fading on Sunday. And this is a, this is a, again, this is just such a big park. Absolutely massive. All right, let's run a custom model and see what we can find. This is available on uh, my website, rickrungood.com, as is everything that you've seen to this point. Okay, let's do, I've got last 24 rounds in here, but I should probably go a little bit. Let's do last 40. I'm going to start, we're going to start getting guys playing a lot more. So I am going to lower this, you know, 24 rounds, uh, maybe even 16 rounds at times. But since we still have guys making their first start of of the year, I think we got to continue to stay a little bit longer. So I'll go last 40 rounds. Weighted strokes gain total. I kind of want to hit this a lot. Um, Let's do 30. I then want to do driving distance probably in a pretty significant way. Let's do 35. That has got us uh, 65 weights. We have 35 more. So th- what, what you could really do, and what I kind of like about this, is you could run basically two different models. You could run um, 
One, like a Patrick Reed model, which are guys that you know might win this via the short game. Or you could run almost like a Bryson model. I think right now I'm kind of running the Bryson model, but you could run the other one as well. Maybe we'll run it on the Tuesday live chat. Um, what I will also do, this is one I, I don't do often, uh, if at all. But I'm going to put like 15 on putts from 15 to, or 5 to 10 feet. Poana greens, they're so hard from this range that you see a lot more missed putts inside five feet, inside 10 feet. So I'm just going to, I'm going to try that, add a little bit of, you know, volatility, a little bit of variance to this. So I have 20 left. Um, what do I want to do here with my final 20? I'm just kind of looking at maybe the setup a little bit. It is a par 72. Maybe I could go with par five scoring. Maybe I could go with approach from like 175 to 200 or 200 plus, they do, you do hit some pretty long shots from here. Let me just see if there's anything else um, that stands out to me. I'm gonna pull up the course profile real quick, so bear with me. What I'm looking at is, um, you know, basically these par threes can be really tough, uh, tougher than the fours and the fives in terms of rankings. Obviously the fours and fives um, will probably play like easier, right? Part threes are very difficult on the PGA Tour, but in terms of rankings compared to other courses, so I think maybe one of the bigger separators are par three scoring. So let me throw my last 20 on this. And, you know, this is kind of an out of the, uh, uh, outside the box model for me, right? And which is, which is good. I want to see what this pumps out. So let me sort this by value. Oh boy, I'm in for it. Yeah, Bryson DeChambeau, my number one golfer. Yeah, I, I told you I was, I'm, I'm probably building the Bryson model. And there he is. John Rahm, number two, Sam Burns, three. Yeah. Xander, DJ, Thomas, Matthew Wolf. Yep, that's the Bryson model. Sung JM, Will Zalatoris, Aaron Wise. That's my top 10. That makes sense. I just built the Bryson model. Let me, I mean, just for kicks, let me change uh, driving distance to like 10. I'll lower strokes gained, uh, weighted strokes gained total to 15 so that I can crank up strokes gained around the green which would, um, you know, strokes gain around the green is obviously being factored into the weighted strokes gain total as well. So that's why I'm chopping that down a little bit. Um, and then I'll ramp up scrambling. And like this, this would probably give us like the Patrick Reed model. Yeah, Bryson just drops completely. Yeah. Okay. John Rahm, whose short game is phenomenal, is number one. So John Rahm, that that is wild. John Rahm shows up in the top two in both. How sick is that? Sam Burns as well. Sung J M improves. Daniel Berger now shows up. Aaron Wise gets a little bit better. You see guys like this. Mackenzie Hughes and Billy Horschel now jump into the top ten. Spieth gets up to twelve. So you're you're seeing kind of two separate ways to go about doing this. Um, and of course, you could do this infinite ways, but. Uh, wow. Yeah, I've got some decisions to make and I don't have much time to make them because we're starting on Wednesday this week. Um, don't forget that the content schedule has changed. I've, I've tweeted it out. It's pinned on my Twitter at Rick run good. Let me know who you think is going to win this week. Thank you so much for subscribing, for liking this video on your way out and we'll talk soon.